Hi guys, and welcome back to You're on Crack Mate, the podcast where we discuss films, television series, and whatever takes our fancy, really, analysing and reviewing them to the point where I've been told flat out, you're on crack, mate. This week, I am delighted to be joined again by the wonderful Joseph Hurley, who at this point, I believe, has stock in your on Crackmate show. Very lovely to have you back. Thanks very much. Hi, Sean. How are you? I am very good. And we also have a very special guest this week, Mr. Will Leahy, who you might have heard once or twice now on the radio there. Will, how are you getting on? Are you well? Big thrill, I have to say. Massive thrill. Um, I've been ticking off things I have never done before. This year, I did the 6-1 News briefly, got 12 seconds on the 6-1 News. Last year, I got on the Late Late. This is my first science fiction podcast. Excellent. Well, I am delighted that we could be the first for you for that one. That really makes me feel a bit special. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm hoping this is a start of a new career for me, right? Because I'm thinking after this, Dave McWilliams is going to ask me to talk about economy on his podcast in fact i've never been asked to talk about anything other than music or media on podcasts before so i'm hoping this is the start of a whole new career for me so yeah so as i said we're going to be covering the greatest science fiction film of all time which is of course star wars episode three the i was going to say the phantom menace i don't even know the film we're talking about lads oh that's a good start revenge of the sith um but first of all how are we both well, I spent the last three days watching the three movies, and I don't know if anybody's ever had to watch all three together one day after another. Even George Lucas himself probably struggles. But I have a couple of hypotheses that I'll put to you both when the time is right. I Let's like just it. say I'm armed and ready. Oh, dear God. Um, I suppose as we always start off this comment, these podcasts with... Will, what's your memories of the movie when it came out back in 05? Yeah, you see, I've been listening to you two guys with your going on about, oh, the Omniplex and Duratoil. Oh, I went with my friend William and I did this. And all I can say, I can top both of you simply because of my seniority, right? Oh. I can kick all of your, my wonderful first night stories asses with, I was at the first screening in Limerick City of Empire Strikes Back. It was. Yeah. Was. I was. It was back then. We used to get movies about six months after the United States. I That's know right. because there was no internet and no piracy. Hmm. So say it came out in May in in the states. We probably got it around October, November. Hmm. And back in those days, 1980, uh, cinemas in Ireland just changed their movies on a Sunday. And the first showing in Limerick was in the old Carlton Cinema at about 2:30, and I would have been nine or ten. I would have been ten. Uh, nine, it would have been nine. So our older next door neighbor was allowed to bring us to the movies. And I'd only ever seen Star Wars on a pirate, and only about four families in Limerick had a VHS recorder, but I saw Star Wars on a pirate VHS about 26 times. I was nine, I was the perfect age. We did not know, Luke, I am your father. Can you imagine how blown away you would be at nine years of age, seeing one of the greatest twists in cinema history for the very first time? So I think that kicks the, I was at the Omniplex story. <laughs> Let me just scribble out well, my memories a of this. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say I saw this um, on opening night in the Storm Cinema, the Odeon in Castle Troy, Will, as you know yourself. On yeah. uh, the it, the Odeon in Castle Troy opened specifically in time for this, and there was a midnight screening. It was during my final exams in fourth year, and um, a friend of mine, his now mother-in-law, was working there, and he messaged me about eight o'clock. I was studying for a land law exam. And he said, do you want to go to the midnight screening? I've been examined two days. And I was there, yeah, sure, why not? Of course I want to go see Revenge of the Sith at the time. Like, 
But at the time when the movie was coming out, the hype was huge because we were, you know, at the time it was going to be the last Star Wars film we'd probably ever see. And the reviews started coming true that the film was actually good and it kind of gotten rid of a lot of the stuff that we'd seen in the previous two um, horrendous efforts. Um, that's my memory. Sean, what about you? Well, mine, it was myself and my best mate, Darren, we went to see this with a lot of hope in our hearts because we'd also, we'd seen Attack of the Clones together and we just came out so depressed from that film. Um, so we were guardedly excited for this one. I remember the two of us sitting there back when Yahoo Movies was the only way that you could try and catch a trailer on the internet and it would take you about a week and a half for it to load and we were sitting there trying to watch and I just remember the, fr the freeze frame because it hadn't loaded yet of the lava and of course we were so excited because the, well, that's how Darth Vader becomes Darth Vader because he gets burned at the lava and oh my god are we going to see it and we watched it we was like yeah I really enjoyed that that was really good uh, time has passed um, well you see now I'm going to stop you there oh because I think it's still really good and for me here's my first my first theory that I want you to cogitate upon for me it is the best third movie in any of the three sets of three. I, think oh, I don't know now. Rise of Skywalker is pretty amazing. <laughs> it, that it is. But I think, it, I think it tops Return of the Jedi. I think as you get older, when you look back at Return of the Jedi, it's a very kid-friendly film. And especially if you look at this character of Han Solo in it, it's like his story has been done in The Empire Strikes Back. And he's kind of superfluous to the overall kind of, you know, thing itself. Like, like when I was younger, Return of the Jedi was my favorite. But as I've gotten older, I'm quite happy to watch Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back and really leave it at that. Not that I have an issue with Return of the Jedi, but I kind of agree with you on that one, Will. Because you just, you just don't like teddy bears as much as you did when you were younger. That's the problem here. No, but I mean, when you think about it, Rise of Skywalker, we can all agree, is probably one of the worst movies ever made. Uh, Return of the Jedi, whilst it did wrap everything up nice and neatly, it's still fairly flimsy. Yeah. And this one, every time I watch it, I'm still very, very much drawn in by the dark side and by the turn. And Ian McDermott is the best actor who's ever acted in a Star Wars movie. I think we can all accept that as well. I mean, he's, yeah. he, okay, he's a pantomime villain, but what he does, he does villainy very well. And we were all terrified as children of Darth Vader, but I'd have to say the Emperor is 10 times scarier than Darth Vader ever was. And now that we know that Darth Vader is just this whinging adolescent behind the mask. He's not as scary as he once was. But I just, you know, another thing about three sets of three, having rewatched it only yesterday, and then thinking about Jedi and thinking about Rise of Skywalker, in each of the third movies in the sequence, there's far too much rushing through of so much plot. Yeah. Um, it's almost as if they should have made four movies at a time, because I just think that by the time they got to the third movie, in each one, particularly Rise of Skywalker, they have so much plot to get through. Each movie is overly bloated and it, everyone is still left unhappy at the end of each of the, of the final three of each trilogy, I would have thought. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. I, I think well, Rise of Skywalker, I know I'm not the first person now to say this, but Rise of Skywalker is a sequel to a film we never saw yep. because it has nothing to do with Last Jedi. Re like, I mean, it does, but it doesn't. Whereas... Return of the Jedi. See, I have a funny one with that because when I was a, uh, a much smaller kid than I am now, uh, the, my school had the comic of the movie. And for some reason, I read that every week for all of sixth class or something. Uh, I just have this really, really fond memory of Jedi. But I actually agree with you. It's, it's kind of fine. 
and especially after coming after Empire Strikes Back, which is arguably one of the best of the released movies. Um, Revenge of the Sith, it's too long. That's, that's, that's my review of it. There, that's, that's my one-sentence review of it. It's too long. Okay, but I do don't you, disagree with you either. That is in, they had a lot to do. I'm not sure they did it as well as they could have. I think as well that you have to look at, like in Jedi, in terms of Jedi, it takes the bones of about 45 minutes to an hour for the story to actually start because the first section is rescuing Han Solo from Jabba the Hutt. And then the difference between Return of the Jedi and Revenge of the Sith is in Return of the Jedi, there's nothing really for Luke that the Emperor is offering, offering him. The ending conversation is brilliant, but all really that the Emperor is offering uh, Luke is more power and things like that. But Luke was never a character who looked for that. So you can see, you can understand why, you know, Luke's there, well, I don't really need this. I don't want this. This isn't, this isn't for me. But in this film, as, you know, as badly put together as the plot is and motivation thing like that, there is a temptation for Anakin Skywalker to go to the dark side, which is something that Jedi didn't have, that I felt. Yep, I agree with all that. Um, but, okay, here's another theory. Do you not think re-watching it, as you both have probably done the last few, few days, do you not think re-watching it, it almost makes the first two movies sufferable to get to this end point? I mean, I'm not excusing them. I'm not excusing them. But I'm just saying is that whiny whingy Anakin does get there in the end. And George Lucas, whatever you say about his dialogue, my God, it's awful. But he does have a singular vision. And the man had the courage to set his main character on fire. Quite literally, yes. You know, and I mean, this is a man who says these are movies for 12-year-olds. You know, the Ewoks and Jar Jar are defensible simply because I made this movie for 12-year-olds. So the man says, I made the movie for 12-year-olds, but sets his lead character on fire, literally on fire, watches his flesh burn. Now, we all knew it was coming, but I'm just saying he went ahead and did it. I mean, I thought we were going to see Anakin fall off a cliff, scream, and that was the last we'd see of him. But he actually set him on fire. So... You've got to give the man some excuse for the really? horror show that we went through for the previous two movies. <laughs> the, the weird thing is that when you look at episode one and episode two, they're completely disjointed films because there's no real connection between the two of them because you've got 10 years of a difference between episode one and episode two. And the character of Anakin in episode one is a kid, the whole thing passes him by. Episode two starts, we've got a totally different character. In the sequel trilogy, then we've got, um, say, as Sean correctly said, you had episode seven, which made sense. Episode eight just basically put a roadblock in every place. It was like, you think this is important for episode seven? It's not. Then it goes into episode eight, or sorry, episode nine, and it's actually, no, sorry, it was really important, things like that. The thing with George Lucas was, and he said it about episode seven when they were making it, he said that when he was making movies, he said he didn't want to copy any, any previous movie. He didn't want to, you know, make a kind of a, an homage to a different film. He wanted them, his own films to be their own kind of style and things like that. And as much as we'll criticize the prequels, um, and Will, as you said as well, about, you know, looking favorably back and things like that, these films are completely individual and they're exactly how he wanted them to be. He didn't let outside interference by and large, you know, push him into a certain way in terms of making stuff. So these films completely are all different. And to get to this point, you have to watch the first two, whether or not you like it. Yeah, I, I'm not, look, it doesn't excuse them. It doesn't. 
And I'm having listened to you two guys do your podcast on the other two movies. There are certainly some redeeming features in both. Very few with Attack of the Clones, I admit. Whoa. But I still think it. Which ones? Think Attack of the, which ones of the Attack of the Clones are we going with? Which which redeemable features did we leave out? Okay, first of all, Attack of the Clones is still better than Rise of Skywalker. I know that's like saying death by poison is better than death by hanging. But, you know, Rise of Skywalker is a complete and utter mess. And it's an abomination to Star Wars fans. Uh, you know, Disney gets out of jail with the Mandalorian. But yep. Yep. let's be honest. The last three movies have been a complete and utter cash-in. They were there to relaunch the franchise, you know, I, I still think the world could have lived without the last three Star Wars movies and we'd be no worse off. But I do think that Disney justified the purchase of it with The Mandalorian being so bloody amazing. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I think The Mandalorian and Rogue One are two of the best things that Star Wars ever produced. So Disney, it gets its get out of jail free card with those. But there's no doubt that J.J. Abrams and whatever you think about The Last Jedi, whether you think it's good or bad, I still think I could have lived without it. Um, you know, if they were all that we'd gotten out of Disney, it would have been a complete and utter disaster. Mm. But, you know, if we could have only gotten John Favreau to, to direct those last three movies, we might have had a decent franchise. But, you know, all I'll say about Lucas is this, is that we all knew what was coming. Mm. And that, again, was one of the things that hampered the whole prequels, is that we all knew what was coming. So there was never a sense of jeopardy. You know, Yoda and Count Dooku, you knew that Yoda was going to survive. Yoda and Palpatine at the end, you know both of them are going to survive. You know that Obi-Wan is going to survive. This is the problem. You know 3PO and, and R2-D2 are going to survive. You knew every little piece along the way. So in the same way with a lot of the Marvel movies, there's no sense of jeopardy, even though watching them kick each other's ass is great. You know, and that does take away an awful lot when you're dealing with prequels to anything, is that you know the outcome of this. Yeah. And we knew the outcome of Mustafar and Lava way back, again, my age will tell you, I think Lucas gave us that information about a lightsaber battle between the two of them on a lava planet called Mustafar, as back as probably the Return of the Jedi novelization is when I think I read it first, when I was about 12 or 13. So we knew that was coming for 20 years, this lava planet with a lightsaber battle between the two best friends at the end. And it was really just, how was it gonna look? Yep. Yeah. And it did look great, and it still looks great. And the special effects do hold up. That was one thing I really got during this rewatch of them as well, is now I know that they've been, if you give it a week, he's remastered something else almost. Well, obviously not since Disney took over, but they really do look up because I do remember, I think, show we discussed this, when it comes to Attack of the Clones, that's not aged as well. There's some of Clones now looks a bit rougher. This one, I think, has the benefit of there's a little bit of the depth added to a lot of the CGI in this where it kind of feels not more realistic, but it, it doesn't feel as like, oh, well, that's clearly CGI. Not all of us. It's still that parrot thing that Obi-Wan is writing. Um, I think we probably could have done without that. I think was, it not, was it not a lizard? No, It was, it was kind of a, a feathery yoke. That's what I'm going to call it. It certainly couldn't fly, so it was no parrot. It was pretty. It was pretty bad at flying. I will say that. It's good at falling. When I was when I was listening to the um, to the director's commentary on it, um, George Lucas, I think literally his first line of the commentary is, "I'm a visual filmmaker," and you're going, "Well, you're absolutely not an actor's director, anyway." There's no doubt about that. 
But when he spoke about the different planets and things like that, and he said that, um, and it was backed up by people on it, the, you know, some of the producers and sorry, creators, digital artists, and they were saying that when George Dukes had talked about a new planet, he talked about literally all the details within it about what the people would look like, what they do, what their planet was, like things like that. And from that point of view, these three films have all that because the planets creatures and beings are they're so individual and there's so much kind of you know depth to what is actually there but when i talk about depth as well i have to immediately bring it back to one of the things that these movies um have an issue with and it's almost kicks off straight away and this one is there's a lack of say um an understanding of the impact of things happening in these films like in this movie the movie starts off with the attack on coruscant and the opening title crawl says that the republic is crumbling and this and that but you don't actually see any impact of the war on Coruscant at all. Like when they've rescued Palpatine, they're back on the planet. It's just, it's almost like back to normal straight away. Like the battle seems to be still going on in space. They're back down and down. There's no issue whatsoever. The next scene is Anakin speaking to Padme. Padme is getting, you know, change on the balcony and she's talking about going to Naboo and all that. And you see in the background and there's no difference. There's no difference in the traffic. There's no difference in people around. There's absolutely no sense of how the Republic is crumbling. That's one thing with this film especially is that everything is supposed to be falling apart, but we don't see how things are falling apart, how society is falling apart and things like that. We look at how the Jedi are total mess in a minute or two, but from a society point of view, there's just no impact seen at all in the film. Well, you see now, there again, watching the three movies in sequence, I don't think I've ever watched the three of them in sequence before. And it is the first time I have actually seen what he was plotting with the chancellor from the start to the finish and the trade federation and the separatists and this, that, and you do see him join the dots again, yeah. a movie for 12 year olds is fairly heavy on politics. And you just say to yourself, okay, if your whole goal was to create a powder keg by which the chancellor could have himself voted Supreme powers, was there not a cooler way of doing it? I just think this whole trade, Again, we all got, in the first five minutes of Phantom Menace, we were all going, what the, with this trade federation yeah. and blockades. And, and you're going, by the time you got to the end of the third movie, and you could see what he was doing, and you say to yourself, right, that all makes sense. It's got me from A to B to C. It's taken me six years or whatever to do it, but I can see what he was doing. You do wish then there was a Kathleen Kennedy in the room or somebody in the room who would have said, yes, George, we see what you're trying to do and it's great. And that's exactly what you would do in the political world. But there must be a cooler, easier for fans to understand way of getting you from A to Lava without all of this stuff about blockades and voting in the Senate and all this stuff. But you can, if you watch the three in sequence, you can actually see the little bits that Palpatine was doing along the way to get him to where he wanted to go. And at the same time then, nurturing Anakin, which is much easier to understand yeah. than all the politics stuff. It was funny actually in, obviously they have uh, a well-established relationship by the time of this film. It kind of takes a while to get there. You see it a bit in Clones, and obviously it's, he's only a little child at the end of Phantom Menace. I, I feel like, Show you mentioned to me before that there is there's that mini series of the Clone Wars which I have not yet seen. So a lot of my questions could be answered in that. Like there's an awful lot of story we kind of missed to get to where they are at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith. But also I feel at the end of Revenge of the Sith, the war all wraps up quite nicely, doesn't it? 
everything wraps up like within about the space of five minutes everything has been changed from Anakin Skywalker being a Jedi Knight to now being a merciless murderer called Darth Vader who's been sent to kill people. Actually, hang on a second. I have a question for both of you because Will kept putting us on the spot so it's only fair now to put Will on the spot as well. About oh, something. I have more. I have more. So, oh, I figured you did. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a question I have to ask and I'll put it to Sean first because Will is going to take over and uh, um, bring up all his points in a second. Sean, here's my question. Did Anakin Skywalker actually kill all the younglings? Oh, hell yes he full-on killed those younglings. And that's your problem. Because from that point on in the film, he's completely irredeemable. Like, he's just killed a room full of children. Because it's a bit like Chekhov's gun. If you're going to show it, you have to make sure you fight. So if you walk in, he's got a lightsaber in his hand in front of a bunch of kids. And he's not there to play baseball with it. Like, Well, oh, no, I, I, I never in any way doubted that he didn't kill all the younglings. You know, I know he had about 16 dozen troops behind him on that big march up into the temple. But you would assume any standard youngling could, um, even one that acted as bad as the one that went, Master Skywalker, oh my God, where was the cast? I, I assume that that young boy has the surname Lucas in some shape or form, because there is no way a casting director went out and hunted for a child who would have a fairly pivotal line in the Star Wars saga, who delivered it as badly as that guy did. Actually, funnily enough that you mentioned um, the surname Lucas, a minute later when, um, oh jeepers, what's Will, what's, not, oh God, what's, um, what's the senator from? Uh, uh, Bail Organa. Yeah, Bail Organa. When he shows up to the Jedi Temple, um, a young Jedi jumps out and starts killing all the yeah. clones. That's George Lucas' son. Oh, there you go. See? Yeah. <laughs> the thing you is, know, I mean, okay, I, we, we're probably, I'll throw my second hypothesis at you here now. Yes. Okay. All right. Think about this. And I, again, please do not kill me, beloved radio person, <laughs> beloved radio friend as I am. All right. <laughs> this is just something, uh, having watched the three again, and I'm going to put this to you at the end. If. Padme hadn't such a terrible death and if Lucas had been brave enough to do what all the fans wanted him to do at the time which was have some form of plot narrative device whereby Anakin actually killed Padme mm -hmm. right say that Padme and Obi-Wan arrive at the planet and he does what he does and whatever injures her and then 3PO brings her onto the ship and delivers the baby say okay mm. and then some plot device happens whereby she's standing on a clifftop screaming at Anakin down in the lava field and he sees her and kills her then, okay? Say he was brave enough to do that and there was a direct connection as to why Vader had this tortured soul instead of us knowing that he didn't kill her and the Emperor telling him that he did kill her. If, he'd been, if Lucas had been brave enough to have Anakin kill Padme, which was the seeds to all that came thereafter. I put it to you both that you would have no problem putting Revenge of the Sith in the top three. I will say yes to that one because I think thematically, I think it would work. That this relationship that, you know, arguably never should have been ended up effectively, like literally then destroying her. And then I suppose kind of led to his destruction as well because it's his motivation to save her that drives him further and further into the clutches of Palpatine. Yeah, I think that would be okay. Lucas would never have done it, but I think it would have been a great ending. Yeah, you kind of have to, right, she has to give birth somehow. We need to get the babies out of the way. Um, 
But why do you think he wouldn't have done it? Why do you think? I, I think the reason he didn't do it is he simply wanted that cool scene whereby you had the birth of Vader and you have the birth of the children at the same time. So he couldn't kill Padme before Vader had been born. That, that's, I, I, think that was, I think he had that scene in his mind from the very start. I'm going to have the children being born at the same time as Frank and Vader is being, is being born. But could, he have I, I, but could he have felt that like he would have followed up the scene of you know, people believing that he's murdered a load of kids to then also murdering his wife, that maybe that'd be too much? Because at that point, you're going, if he's killed a load of kids, and actually, strange enough, my opinion is I don't think he killed them at all, um, that it, it'd be too much to kind of say he's completely beyond any help whatsoever. Because if you think of it, in Return of the Jedi, the whole thing is there's good in the man still, and yo, we can get it out of him. So in this movie, you don't see him killing kids, so it's left to your own devices. Two of you think he did, I don't think he did. And then if you show him killing his wife, is he beyond redemption? Is he beyond any good that can be brought back, yeah. which is what the whole thing is? Okay, okay. But, you, but again, here's three men talking about these movies, and you have to put yourself in the mind of the 14-year-old girls who thought Padme slash Amidala was really cool. All right? In the second movie, it, whose name it shall not be mentioned. In the second movie, you have, the, you have her there uncoupling herself and climbing up things and doing this and shooting blasters and all the rest of it. And then she dies of the, what is it again? She Both lost hands. the will to live. All right. What did she do? Doctor, what's on her death cert? Oh, she lost the will to live. So we're given that instead. So all I will say to you is this, whatever about the rest of us, he did her an, an almighty disservice by having that as being her death. Whereas I think being killed by Vader yeah. would have been an, an incredible death for her and would have, would have been a justifiable death for who, what was essentially the kick-ass heroine of the three movies. But the only problem was is she was very muted as a character in this film. She was really relegated to the side. Like the majority of her scenes is her sitting down and someone talking to her. And like the only good scene that has her in it is... The birth of the rebellion when she speaks to her uh, counselors about it but of course that was actually a deleted scene was taken out of the movie so as a result there isn't a whole lot of her in this movie at all yeah. okay but why do we have her doing all that ass kicking in number two then you know exactly. just, to, oh, no, just I, to turn back into a politician again yeah it was very frustrating like senator amidala from the second one is technically not in <clears> this film i i would say i'd go so far as to say she's almost more of a plot device than a character in this film. she's an incubator yeah but I think, as you said as well, Will, it really is kind of just to thematically kind of like have a bridge at the same time of on one side, you've got the birth of you know, our evil character, and then you've got the birth of the, yeah. you know, the light side coming back into force. But I, I guarantee you, you, you ask George Lucas, who will always tell you I had such and such a thing in mind back in 1972. <laughs> he had that scene in mind all the way through. And no matter what, the plot had to serve that. So by the time he got to that, and by the time Vader was five light years away from wherever Padme was, there was no other way of killing her. Bar, she died of the will to live. Give me, come on. But all I'm saying to you is this. Neither of you really liked this movie to any great extent, and I'm the only one who really did. And I'm just saying is that I think with that one change at the end, it would have made it into a classic. Yeah, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying it must be disagree. It's definitely the best of the prequels. Like, I think that's hands down. It's well, then okay, it's not exactly high praise there, Sean. But, um, the yeah, I'd maintain episode one is the best of the three, and I'd, I'd be clear for you, that as well. So, you're both gonna tell me so, Last Jedi is better than it, whereas I don't think any of the three, the three quotes at the end, rank higher than it. I think it ranks, I, I, for me, it's number 
four in my Star Wars movies. It's that high. And it's, see, simply because, it's simply because the turn, ham-fisted and all, and unbelievable and all as it is, but the 20-minute sequence from the time Mace Windu leaves to go off and confront Palpatine yep. to the time Mace Windu goes out the window, you know, is a fairly brilliant 15-minute scene. No, you're talking okay. And then, and then, then Anakin bows, and for some reason, this light switch goes, and he becomes this baddie all of a sudden, which is wholly unbelievable, and makes a mockery of what's gone before it. But that fifteen-minute scene is pretty good. No, you're totally right with that. I think the problem that say I specifically have with it anyway is, I fully agree with you. The birth of Darth Vader is really well done, things like that. But there's this huge inflated importance of Darth Vader in these films that absolutely does not come across in the original trilogy. We're led to believe about the, this prophecy that is never actually explained in the films. We don't know who wrote it, when did they write it, could it be misinterpreted and things like that. We're effectively told that the emperor basically created him. So it's effectively a virgin birth. It's basically like Jesus. So effectively, these movies are positioning Darth Vader as space Jesus. And he's going to be, you know, the next big thing. And he's going to be more powerful than everybody and things like that. But when you actually watch episode four, like there was a Star Wars, that doesn't come across at all. When, say, Grand Moff Tarkin and Darth Vader are speaking to the rest of the Admiralty, like you're slagging Vader off to his face. Who's this guy with his hokey religion? And at the end of the film, even Vader's out in his TIE fighter trying to destroy Luke. And you're there going, in these films, he's treated as the, you know, like this massive end piece in all the galaxy. And he's just a normal guy in the other movies. So what I get that the birth of him is really cool. I'm just there going, the, everything leading up to it about the character, it was just this, it was too inflated. And it doesn't kind of, it's, it's like a square peg in a round hole for me. So I find it hard to kind of buy into the narrative myself. Yeah, but do you not think this is the, you trace back all through Star Wars. Yeah. And it's reactive. Everything is reactive to the fans. Yeah. Darth Vader is in the first movie for 12 minutes. That's right, yeah. Yet he is the central character to the whole nine movies, when you think about it. He is the background, or is it Palpatine? He's the background to everything. And then you have Boba Fett, who's in Empire Strikes Back for probably one minute, now has a spin-off series 30 <laughs> years later. You know, Jar Jar Binks was the most reviled character who was probably in episode one for 45 minutes. He's in episode two for probably a minute. But and I think that is voting the chancellor extra powers. I think that's the important thing as well that you're saying, Will, is that Lucas let too much of the outside world in. Because when you watch the behind the scenes stuff on episode one, Lucas talks about Jar Jar and he kind of says, Jar Jar's the key to this. Like he's a funnier character we ever had. Because of the hate that came against him, then that meant his role was reduced in episode two. In episode three, he's got absolutely shag all. But it kind of feels like that with Vader as well as that. He's left the outside perception of Vader in terms of being this larger than life bad guy when he's just a normal person. Like, you know, the Empire is just like the Nazis and things like that from World War II. And he let that importance influence his writing. Like you said as well, um, earlier on about, you know, how he's written things and things like that. And Sean, myself and yourself discussed this previously. Like during the original making, the original trilogy, Gary Kurtz, who was the producer with him, was that person who stood up to Lucas. Kurtz told him like, you know, this isn't gonna work, that's gonna work. And they fought about things, but that keeps everything kind of in, you know, balance. And the same then with, M M sorry, The Empire Strikes Back was directed by Irvin Kirshner, Return of Jedi with Richard Marquand, and all that. So there was a way to, I'm gonna sound strange, nullify Lucas having total control. But with these three films, it was him, he wrote the drafts and that was it. 
So as a result, he'd no one kind of fact-checking or saying, this doesn't make sense and this needs more explaining. Oh, no, I agree with that. But then, I, as a counter-argument, I give you the last three movies, I'll which stop. were made by a committee. Yeah, and, they really were. And, and that's where we ended. You know, I mean, we ended up with, with we were told that by the time we got to the end of Rise of Skywalker, we were all saying the same thing. Did nobody actually sit down with a biro at the very start of this and trace where we're going to go? It seems like J.J. Abrams was going to just give a Star Wars greatest hits for the first one. Then the next guy comes in and goes, oh, no, hang on a second. You mean I can do whatever I like? Ooh, let's create the force telephone. Let, you know, <laughs> let's do all of these things just to just shake it all up a bit and let's end with that sequence where the little boy picks up the brush and we all go, ooh, where's this all going now? And then the fans didn't like it. And so let's bring back the greatest hits. And J.J. Abrams comes back in and says, well, I've already played the greatest hits. Oh, hang on, there's two more. We're going to bring out a second album. We still have Palpatine and Lando to bring back. So let's bring them back. So that's what we got for the last three. And I, I have to say, Lucas, whatever much he cannot write a love story, and however much some of the bits don't make any sense, at least by being this extreme Star Wars dictator, he was able to bring his vision to life. And by the time we got to the end of it, forget Padme's death, which I think ruins the whole thing. I still think Revenge of the Sith makes the first two at least sufferable. And I still think with a few little tweaks, with that particularly the ending involving Padme's death, I think Padme's death ruined the movie. Whereas up to that point, I think it was a pretty damn good movie. And I think... All the, all the 30 years we'd been waiting for the lightsaber battle at the end and for the birth of Vader, I think that entire sequence was as good as we could have possibly hoped it was going to be. And, and, and whatever about, okay, you would have liked somebody to be sitting beside Lucas and going, okay, look, just, can I just stop you there, please, George? Just, 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 just I, look, I know, George, you're great and all that, but can you just, just stop me there for one second? You're doing what with the who? And, and, and what, I, I feel this way because I love you so much. I mean, that whole, I mean, come on. That's so <laughs> I bad. Mean, really. That's... I mean, which is worse? Sand is so coarse, or I only look this way because I love you so much. Which is worse? It's a tough call. Sand is so coarse. So we're sand all agreeing okay. on no, that. We're both sand is no coarse, yeah. Sand is so coarse, yeah. I agree. Um, it is it, impressive look, to have two separate films and both vying for some of the worst dialogue ever committed to film. I think that's an achievement, nearly. It's not an achievement I want to have, but it's an achievement. Okay, I mean, again, you see, because we, we dissect these movies and go through every single line, and as it's turned out with all of the spin-off stuff that's happened, every line in a Star Wars movie is very important because a spin-off could come from it. I mean, when you look at The Mandalorian and you look at creatures that were in the, in the corner of the cantina, you realize that, that somebody in Lucasfilm, their job is to go through every shot of every movie, every line of dialogue, and find some way we can use this in a spin-off. And I mean, there's about 40 times, I think, in the prequels where the prequels are mentioned or alluded Point. to, you know? I even think the word metachlorians is used at some point in the... Uh, in the modern sequels, aren't they? Uh, will, will, will we give you advance warning? That word was not to be mentioned in this podcast at all. I'm afraid <laughs> we're going to have to immediately podcast. stop this podcast immediately. Just cancel it. It's over. Sorry. It's done. You're grand, grand. Sorry. Wait a minute. Was I supposed to be recording this? No, it's fine. <laughs> um, 
One no, thing I mean, that, there, are, there are, look, there are a lot of things that don't make sense in the last movie. I mean, for instance, why is the Chancellor taken by General Grievous at the start? I, I mean, I, I appreciate this was all part of Palpatine's plan. Kidnap me, have Anakin rescue me and kill Count Dooku, and that will push Anakin and I closer together. But I put it to you, you have this giant 747 of a space cruiser about to crash land without any landing gear. I mean, the Chancellor could have died. It is a very <laughs> unusual plot device, you when, know? When you think of these films, and like, as you said, well, like if you say it yourself going, right, what was Palpatine's plan in this situation? It's all down to luck. Like, it's kind of right. Exactly. I know 100% Anakin's going to rescue me, but we're going to get to a stage where he's going to have to cut off Count Dooku's head then the ship is going to break in two. We're going to have to crash down on the planet. I'll be fine somehow, but it's all going to work. It's all going to work in my favor. Yeah. So when you're watching the movie, you're basically holding on. Like, you have to just put your mind out and just go, forget about it. I'm not going to ask those background questions because there's absolutely no point. One thing in this as well that we discussed in episode two, and it's continued in this one. And again, it goes back to what Luke said in episode eight about how the Jedi Order was kind of, uh, you know, how it destroyed itself. When Anakin has that dream about Padme dying and all that, and it's just, it just sounds so odd, the whole movie keeps on saying, I want to stop you from dying. It's, it's like something from a melodrama. But he goes and he meets with Yoda and he has a counseling session with him. And it's the, one of the most awkward things ever. Like you can see in this movie, like Anakin's hair is scraggly. He's wearing dark clothes. He's got that scar on his face. He looks like a really angry kind of fella. Like, and when he talks to Yoda, he's clearly there going, I have a lot of issues in my life. I hate the Jedi. Ooh. I, my, my dog clearly doesn't doesn't like Count Dooku either. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I know that's wholly unprofessional. That is absolutely grand. Dogs are very welcome on yeah. this podcast. Don't be but he, he'd only just sit there and bark if I didn't let him out. So, but when he when he when he speaks to Yoda, Yoda basically says to me, he "says you know, attachment leads to jealousy. Fear of loss is a path to the dark side, and things like that." And you're there going. Like, is anybody going to help this guy at any point? And the only person who actually does help in these films, and it does help the narrative, is Palpatine. He's the only person that actually spends time talking to Anakin, actually treats him as an equal. But when you see him talking to Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan has no time for him. Mace Windu clearly hates him. And Yoda, Jesus, Yoda is a total, totally different character than what we were hoping for. But you really see in this film, like, we're you know, on the slide and it's getting worse for him. At least that part of the narrative is consistent. There's one thing actually I just want to say because you just made a point there that I absolutely agree with. It seems that there's so many moments in this film that Samuel L. Jackson is trying his hardest not to just deck Hayden Christensen. Uh, and I really hope it's all down to the script because I'm just like, that looks like a lot of that was quite uncomfortable. Uh, but he, he hates the boy. Yep. Okay. <laughs> 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 you know... I have many thoughts as Willie. No, I do, I do. And, and I mean, you know, we've, we've been talking now for about 45 minutes and I don't think we've given Palpatine his due, okay? Because at the end of the day, Palpatine is a phenomenally brilliant villain. Yeah. Uh, okay, he's, he's pantomime, he's ham-fisted, he's cheesy, but Ian McDermott, fantastic acting. We all knew his face was going to go squishy and mm. we didn't know how it was going to happen. You see, again, this is another thing. We knew it was going to happen. We knew that Vader was going to be born. We knew Luke and Leah were going to be born and we knew Palpatine's face was going to get smushed up. How was it going to happen? That sequence is fantastic. Mace, although, could I point out, 
Mace Windu beats Palpatine in a lightsaber battle, yet the greatest swordsman of them all, Yoda, isn't able to beat uh, Palpatine in a lightsaber battle. Again, complete inconsistency. Um, but I've heard what you've said about, about computer-generated Yoda bouncing off the walls, and I'm not saying I... It has a certain charm. Sorry, Shulsef, I'm sorry. Because I, I listen to you, and the two of you just get so distressed about um, <laughs> Yoda. And, and, you know, it, it does have a certain charm. And I think to the 12-year-olds who were watching, they were laughing and clapping and applauding at Bouncing Yoda. Oh, sorry, I've really opened a can of worms here now. I'm just Quick going to backpedal. excuse I've myself many, in this room. I've mentioned and defending CGI Yoda in the space of five minutes. <laughs> You're on the payroll, aren't you? They actually have you on the payroll. No, I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm just pointing out that, you know, if this movie is being made for 12-year-olds... That's the thing, isn't it? Like, because it's made for kids. And as adults, we watch it. And like, put it like this, when I took my nephews to see The, the Rise of Skywalker, they were there going, oh, I loved it. And it's kind of just, I'll say nothing because they're kids. Oh, yeah, but, I've got a five-year-old niece and nephew and their favorite characters are Anakin and Rey. Yeah. And they've watched all nine. Yeah. And again, we're back to the same argument. Which order do you show them to them in? Do you show them to them in one to nine? Or do you show them three, four, four five, and six? And then one, two, three. And I showed mine um, who weren't as enamored with it as their five-year-old um, cousins were. <laughs> I showed mine them in the order that God intended, four, five, six, so that they would have the reveal at the end of five. Yeah. Mm. And, and they were going, oh, that's interesting. But again, it's, you know, as I say to you, I saw Empire Strikes Back, the first showing in Limerick, so probably one of the first showings in Ireland. We did not know. Yeah. And it was a simpler time. And I saw Force Awakens, not knowing that Han Solo was going to die. So there is a certain element of, oh, didn't see that coming, even though we should have known. Yeah. Uh, you know, so even in the internet age, it is nice to have a certain surprise. But with Revenge of the Sith, it's the complete reversal because you're pretty much, it's like you're going to see the Eagles and waiting for Hotel California. Yeah. You're going, they have to play the greatest song. They have to play the one they're best known for. So we had to see Vader being born. Should we saw it in the bloody trailer? You know, we knew mm, Vader was awesome. going to be born. Yeah. But that was a problem, like with it, it goes back to what I was saying a few minutes ago about square peg round hole and things like that. But going back over this, I decided just to look at episode four and episode six, and I decided to just put out a couple of lines of dialogue from them that would refer to events that happened in these films just to see if they were consistent or not. Amazingly enough, they're not consistent. And here they are. So here are the things that in episode four, this is what Obi-Wan says about Anakin. He says he was the best star pilot in the galaxy. Did we ever see that in these films? It was a no, hang on a second. Ho, 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 now a second. Oh, that's, oh, that's, good. that's referred to a number of times. Is a it? number of times. Yeah, it is. Particularly at the end, particularly at the, at the beginning of, of episode three, where he lands the giant cruiser. No, that's, okay. that's fair enough. I'll go with that, right? And then, of course, at the end of, of, of Phantom Menace, he, he's the boy who flies into the middle of the Trade Federation's signal ship and destroys it at the age of 12. So I, I think he can defend that one. Okay. Next. He said he, said he, was, a, he was a good friend. Now, I absolutely don't agree with that. There's yeah, but we've missed 10 years in the middle there. And I, don't, I haven't seen the cartoon <laughs> series, but I assume in the cartoon series, I assume in the Clone Wars, we see the lads. 
going for a, a bag of cans down the field. <laughs> the old Matt Damon bag whatever, whatever the Whatever the Jedi version is of a bag of cans down the field is. The other line he says is, your, when he takes out the lightsaber and gives it to Luke, he says, your father wanted you to have this when you were old enough. And he said, your uncle wouldn't let him uh, give him the lightsaber. And he said, his uncle was concerned that he fought him off on a crusade like his father did. Yeah, but you know what? My gut tells me that in the Kenobi series, all of that dialogue is going to be spoon-fed to you because some fella in Lucasfilm has been paid to go through every line of dialogue to go, ooh, how can we answer questions nobody's ever asked? Such as, why does Han Solo have the name Solo? See it. There's somebody who's going through all of those, and I can guarantee you you're going to get an answer to that and all sorts of things that you never wanted to know when you watch Kenobi, which I'm actually really looking forward to. I will definitely agree with you that I'm really looking forward to Kenobi. And I think at the time of watching 1, 2, and 3, I liked Ewan McGregor. I thought he was perfectly fine. With the, with the time that's gone by, he's my favorite thing in the films. Okay, that's it. We're done. Thank, <laughs> thanks. Look, it was lovely. And seriously, honest to God, it was. But you're giving out to me? <laughs> And you come out with that? <laughs> the immortal line of, hello there. Oh, God, <laughs> that bloody catchphrase. Now, the only thing is, Ewan McGregor only really knocks it out of the park for me at the end of the fight with Anakin. For the rest of it, I'd be on the side of Will. I just found him really static and boring and just almost not human at all in what he was doing. Now, look, there was very little he could do, let's yeah. be honest, because the yeah. blueprint, uh, if Vader was only in, if Vader was only in Star Wars for 12 minutes, I can't imagine Obi-Wan is in it for more than 15 minutes. Mm. So poor old Ewan McGregor has 15 minutes to base his entire performance on. And look, the athleticism and the swordplay is fantastic. But again, Obi-Wan has given horrendous dialogue. So I'm hoping uh, that whoever is writing for um, Kenobi can actually give Ewan McGregor the dialogue that he's entitled to. And I really do think, because as I said to you, I'm, I, I thought Mandalorian was so good. I mean, so good. And I thought Rogue One was so good that I really have high hopes uh, for Kenobi that I do think Kenobi is going to right a lot of the wrongs and fill in a lot of the awful plot holes. I do. I do think it's going to. I think if you watch Mandalorian season two, you can see somebody is trying to fill in the plot holes of Snoke and the plot holes of Palpatine's rebirth. You can see it in the jam jars hanging off the walls. Um, in the episode where, oh, I can't remember, the episode where they go to the Imperial base at the other side. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, you, the little factory where they're making clones. That mm. is the birth of, uh, you know, they're using Baby Yoda's blood to, yeah. to bring Palpatine and Snoke to life. And I think they're going to continue to use the Mandalorian to fill in these terrible plot holes that we had in the sequels. And something tells me they're going to use Kenobi to fill in the terrible plot holes that Lucas left behind from the prequels and the bits that you're just after mentioning there from the, uh, from the original trilogy. That's what I think is going to be done. I'm not finishing my dialogue assassination of retconning stuff, so I'm just going to finish off the last two parts from episode six, Return of the Jedi, when Luke is going off to face Vader and he speaks to Leia and yeah. he asks Leia, what does about he remember? her mother. And she said, yeah, she died when I was very young. Yes, you were about one minute old and your mother died for reasons unknown, as the, as the, as the cert said. And when Luke said what were your memories, he said she was very beautiful, she was kind, but sad. And Leia was able to understand all of this in the space of about 67 seconds. 
And then Luke says, I don't remember my mother. I never knew her. So okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you there again. Okay. Again, what I suspect is going to happen there, I suspect the mother that she was referring to was Senator Organa's wife. And I feel at some point in Kenobi, that poor lady is going to die. Well, you're putting a lot of faith in this Kenobi series I am. altogether. <laughs> I am. Look, they made one of the best Star Wars movies out of one line in the opening crawl, which is Rogue One. In my opinion, I think Rogue One is one of the best things they've ever done. I, and I just think that they will pick up little threads just like that. And we'll all go, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. In the same way Boba Fett didn't die uh -huh. and came back to life. You know, I mean, you know. How have faith. Get the reputation of being the most fearsome bounty hunter in the galaxy. I mean, just from what we see in Empire and Return of the Jedi. Yeah, but Sean, you're forgetting we didn't have much back then. You know, it was. <laughs> you know, TV didn't come on till five o'clock. We we didn't really have an awful lot to do. So Boba Fett comes along, and it was either that or Police Academy. You know, we didn't have much. So give us a break here. You know, it was the 80s. Times were thin. Right, I'll you know, give you that one. We, we, had, that one. we had He-Man and Battle of the Planets. That was all we had. Battle of the Planets was awesome. I mean, we had to suffer through four Christopher Reeve Superman movies and the last one really now, you know, let's be honest. <laughs> so you, that's how Boba Fett managed to be so awesome because we had nothing else. Now, Will, because you're saying that we absolutely hated this film, I'm actually going to talk about a few things that I did enjoy about it. Did you it. both say that, by the way? Have you both said where this ranks for you in your Star Wars canon? I would... Um, when you I both said no, it's the best of the prequels. It. It's best of the prequels. Oh, I didn't yeah. say that. I, I still meant oh, yeah, well, Phantom yeah, Menace yeah. is better. <laughs> okay. I definitely prefer... Now, I'm a bit of a Force Awakens apologist. Uh, it is a remake of A New Hope but I thought it was pretty. Um, it is pretty, but then again, all of the three of them are pretty. I mean, Rise of Skywalker looks amazing. Nobody's going to take that away from the man. But by Jesus, if I could get my 15 euros back, I would. Okay, so I literally wrote this down as quickly as I could. So I'd go The Empire Strikes Back, Star Wars, uh, Force Awakens, Return of the Jedi. What is with these people? What, what do I have here? Plant. Um, so you have Force Awakens at number three. Yes, I actually do. Over Rogue One? Based on what? Um, Sean, will you make sure to add Will to the invite for a Rogue <laughs> One discussion, right? Because I, I have huge problems with Rogue One. I mean, massive problems. Oh, um, no. Phantom Menace and... Oh, God, no. I, no. I know. A, a, a Rogue um, One for me. I'm sorry. Rogue One for me is number two. Oh, God. I, I, yeah. I, I, like, this movie is six in my list. No, I have, I, I, I'm, I'm Empire, Rogue One, Star Wars, Revenge of the Sith. That's me. Sorry now, I'm, I, I shouldn't even say sorry. I'm not going to apologize. That's where I, that's where I stand on this. Sean, I think, we need, to, I think we, need, we need to re record the episode three podcast and just remove Will from it all. <laughs> Rogue, One, Rogue One did what none of the rest of them have been able to do. It's give us a story that we knew was going to happen, but tell it to us in a completely fresh way and give mm -hmm. us an ending that left us going, yeah, that was a pretty great ending. But it had no characters. <laughs> there was no characters in the movie. That was the problem. Well, that was but that's, oh, hang on. It only had one movie to do it. You're basing everything else on, on three, or if you're, if you're Iron Man on 16. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know? 
So um, just before we started killing each other over Rome <laughs> 1 and agreed to meet up somewhere in the middle of Limerick and Wexford, um, things I enjoyed about this movie, because there actually were a few, um, I thought the whole Order 66 thing, I thought that was done really well. I thought the whole kind of, um, from the order being given and going across all the different planets and showing the different Jedi and how they were being killed and the music as well really kind of worked well in that situation for me. John? Uh, what I think, yeah, I've said this before, I loved the Order 66 thing. I, Mace Windu, pretty much every scene that he's in, he doesn't have great dialogue, but I think Samuel L. Jackson knocks it out of the park in this film. Um, and I really like the space opera bit, or squid opera, whatever way you would describe it, the two of them. I really like that. The funny thing with the squid opera was, um, they were actually due to film that again in Palpatine's office, but they... They went to Lucas and they said, look, we filmed about a million scenes inside in Palpatine's office. Can we go somewhere else? And I think they were due to start filming that scene the very next day. So they had to quickly uh, build a new set for it to be in a space opera. That's completely pointless behind the scenes knowledge that the commentary gave me. But I said I'd tell you because I have it written down here. I love trivia. Trivia makes me I think it's more Cirque du Soleil, really. Yeah. It is kind of Cirque du Soleil. For me, um, okay. The CGI in the opening 15 minutes is pretty good. Yeah, yes, even watching it, even watching it yesterday, I said to myself, I don't think they can improve on this. No. And it's 15 years old. It is, it is you know, the, the whole movie is, is, the whole three movies are criticized for being just totally wholly laden in CGI, which they are. But in those first 15 minutes, you'd have to admit they're probably the most, the best CGI 15 minutes of the whole uh, prequels. And, and they still hold up. Uh, the battle over Coruscant holds up fairly good. Mm -hmm. I, I think the turn, I think the 15 minute sequence where he turns, despite the fact it is wholly unbelievable, I think the tension from Mace Windu and from, of course, remember, there's three other Jedis who go with Mace Windu to arrest the Chancellor and he takes them out in two seconds. You'd really have to question the Jedi training. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, oh. we're told they're this kick-ass band of warriors and this old fella, who probably hasn't used his lightsaber in 30 years, uh, you know, I appreciate he killed Darth. Oh, there's another one we haven't discussed. Uh, is he Darth Plagueis' apprentice? Do we agree on that? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So do Actually, you think they'd have been better off bringing back Darth Plagueis instead of Palpatine at the end of Force Awakens, uh, at the end of Rise of Skywalker? I That's don't think... who I thought Snoke was going yeah. to be. I, I thought that was going to be the reveal. I don't think they could have brought, I'd say they were there going because of how bad episode eight was and they were effectively having to do redo a whole new movie. They were there going, we can't bring in another bad guy now because we had Adam Driver, then we had Snoke and they're going, if we were introducing a new one, so it's better if we're trying to tie all nine movies together. Again, look, it's a terrible decision either way, but it's probably the right decision yeah. to have brought in Palpatine. You'd want to have a two hour special for Rise of Skywalker because really it's just, there's no... Where's, I, I can defend George Lucas for a lot of this one, mm. but there's no defense. Bar the fact I was stuck with Carrie Fisher's death. That's the only defense he has. It's just a crime against cinema, that Sh movie. Sean, will you add Will down for <laughs> Rise of Skywalker discussion? Grant, yeah, yeah. Clear the schedule, lads. Clear the um, schedule. Just, uh, Force Awakens you can keep. It, it, you know, it did what it was supposed to do. Yes, um, exactly. So you couldn't take that away from it. It did what it was supposed to do. And yeah. I think the same can be said of this movie. I think when, when you watch Revenge of the Sith, you knew what was coming. Yep. Some of it is done abysmally. But what he needed to do, I think he did well. 
like what you said a minute ago about the fight with the emperor and Mace Windu and all that kind of stuff. Again, you know, as I said in previous commentaries in episode one, episode two, when I've watched the films previously, I've just watched them and I've been fine watching them. I've kind of left it go. But when I was going back through this, I was really kind of focused on this and that and just trying to see, you know, how things made sense and all that. But one thing is, in the ending confrontation, Return of the Jedi, um, after Luke had constructed his own lightsaber, Darth Vader gives it to the Emperor and he says he's a new lightsaber. And the Emperor just looks at it incredibly dismissively and just says, oh yes, your Jedi weapon. And you're kind of there going, right, Palpatine has no use for these weapons at all. And then in this film, he has a lightsaber. And I'm kind of there going, could we have done a different way instead of a lightsaber fight again? Could it have been a different way that he could have fought with electricity as we've seen that he has and things like that? I know I'm nitpicking and I, I totally get that I am, but it's just something that stuck with me. And I said in the episode two commentary, as you know, Will, because I think you wanted to kill me for saying that. <laughs> but it's just, it's the same. It's, it, if, you're, if you're constantly fighting with lightsabers, there's only a certain way you can do it. And as you said, Will, like the Emperor takes out three guys in a goal and like the choreography is terrible. Like, like, Ian McDermott is clearly doing a lot of it like and it just looks so awkward and slow and there's no kind of speed to it or elegance to it at all. Yeah, but I think you've got to go back to what George Lucas says with the origins of Star Wars. It was Saturday morning serials yep. meets westerns meets samurai. And that's what he based it on. And samurai is swords. And I just think that Star Wars without a lightsaber battle is not Star Wars. I, I think lightsabers are what make Star Wars unique. Lightsabers and the Force are what make the Star Wars universe unique. Um, like, yeah. We have neither of those in The Mandalorian, by the way, and we still love The Mandalorian. Um, you know, but I'm just saying is that, is that for me, that I, 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 don't, I don't think you can criticize enough. I, I don't, you know, the whole end lava sequence goes on for such a long time. Yeah. But we were promised it for 30 years. I think it had to be that. I think it had to be this giant, and the music is fantastic mm. behind the last sequence. So, you know, so some people criticize it. You just began the podcast by saying the movie is way too long. And then when everyone ever says that to me, whenever I'm editing anything, I always go, right, if we've got to take something out, what do you want to take out? So go back to two hours, 20 minutes. What sequence could we have done without? Uh, pretty much because everything between, you can't take it out because of story. But so much of what goes on between Padme and Anakin is just time filler. Like but some the of problem the as well is off. then, the, uh, one of the criticisms I have of the movie is, is that we rush through all that too fast. Uh, yep. You know, we get from, from good boy Anakin saying goodbye to Obi-Wan, going, Obi-Wan, you're the greatest friend I've ever had. You're my mentor. You're my father, blah, 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 blah. And that's the last they see of each other. And the next time they see each other, he's all of a sudden the Dark Lord. Yep. And I'm just saying, is it... I, I just think the last movie, and the same with Return of the Jedi, and the same with, Revenge, with uh, Rise of Skywalker, we could have actually done with two movies, because I do think, in all three cases, we, they, the filmmakers, twice Lucas, knew they had to rush to the finish line. And too much plot is skipped over to get to the end, particularly in The Rise of Skywalker. But in this one, Anakin's turn. Now, maybe you'll tell me if I read more of the books and I watched the Clone Wars, maybe I'll understand it better. But it just seems to me that he goes from hero to zero in too quick a time. And, I, and the way he does it is by way of this horrible romance. Um, you know, it's because I'm so in love. Because uh, what you said there, were like, yo, when he says to Mace Windu, 
like the, the, the emperor is the or sorry the chancellor is the uh is the sith or lord we've been looking for now again in two movies the jedi were constantly saying that our ability to use a force has been reduced which is never investigated never looked into and he's a good guy at this point when he says that to mace windu when he goes to the to the chancellor's office when mace windu is about to murder him he's still a good guy and then five minutes later mace windu is now with no arm he's been blown out a window and He's basically the emperor. The chancellor tells him, "Actually, listen, I'm the bad guy. I'm the lord of the Sith." Um, Anakin's there going, "Right, fair enough, whatever." And when he in the opera scene, when Palpatine says to Anakin about the whole, um, you know, about the power to save someone, he basically makes it kind of seem to him like, you know, well, we like I I know this power, so I can use it or whatever. And then after Mace Windu is dead, uh, Palpatine says to him. You know, there is this power, like that power I said to you, listen, one person knew it, but I think if the two of us work together, we can discover it. And we're going, wait a second, I've been tricked a bit here. But then mysteriously, from that point, then it's basically, right, go to the Jedi Temple, murder all the remaining Jedi, and then go to Mustafar and kill all these people. And you're going, that's too much, it's too fast, it's bloody ridiculous. Yeah, I think we could have done with more sequences there of Palpatine and and Anakin resisting yep. him a bit more. It's almost like a, a switch is flicking his head, yep. or or else he realizes I've just I've just caused Mace Window to go out through a window. There's no going back from this. I may as well just embrace my dark side and get on with it. In for a penny, in for a pound. Exactly. Right. That's it. I've chopped off Mace Window's hand. I might as well go and kill some younglings. That's it. There's no going back now. And he definitely, show. I'm sorry, he definitely killed all those younglings. No, and the reason he didn't, right? Oh, here here, there's no, there's, there's, and I'm going to prove it with two points. And Will, you gave me one of those points, and okay. I didn't realize it, right? Did Boba Fett die at the end of Return of the, in the middle of Return of the Jedi? For years, we thought he did, but he clearly yeah. didn't, right? That's fine. So it's being retconned. So he's not dead, right? And here's the next question I'm going to ask you: Who shot first? Han or Greedo? Oh, listen, are we doing all this tonight? Yeah, yeah no, we are. And there, there's a point. There's I mean, a reason really? There, it's a point because we all know Han shot first because it showed the kind of character he was. He killed someone in cold yeah. blood to survive. But then it was kind of looked at, oh, no, it's a kid's film. We can't really it's have really, look, it. When you do episode four, you can devote a full chapter to that. Not no, that it matters a hoot bit of difference, but everyone knows Han shot first. What's going how, to happen? How can, you, how can you have a badass reputation if you don't shoot first? But what, mm-hmm. I'm, saying, what I'm saying is that it's this whole thing of retcon. It's all this thing of, no, this couldn't happen because you know, fans won't like it. What's eventually going to happen, and lighter being a comic, a book, a movie, TV series, whatever it is, you're going to come across a Jedi who was one of those kids in that room, and what'll happen is they'll say, Skywalker told us, get the hell out, never discuss what's happened here, never embrace your powers, never do anything, and go and forget all this life. Did we and not see him killing younglings in the security video, no? No. We saw him kill, like, maybe Padawans, but not the small kids. Well, Oh, sorry, I didn't realize that. What's the difference? I don't know, because Teenagers, Obi-Wan, I think says, are younglings. Obi-Wan says, I have seen a recording of him killing younglings. No, forget about it. Yes, that. he does say that. No, he does say that. No. Yeah. yeah. Look, does it really matter? I mean, I'm sure a couple of younglings survived anyway, and they're going to be in Kenobi coming soon to Disney+. Plus. Um, but, you know, I mean, really, does that matter? None of it matters. Because he... he like he's a bad guy, but what level of bad guy? I think that's, yeah. that's the minutiae we're getting down to here. It's like, at what age does he say, no, I won't kill that particular person? Got them all up to them one by one. What age you? Seven. Okay, you can go. What age you? Eight. Oh, you're <laughs> the next one in the line is like, oh crap! I'm, I was eight yesterday. I'm still seven. 
So the, the, the new Disney Plus series then where you're going to have teenage younglings in a high school with a very good soundtrack picked by Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, my, my so-called Jedi life. Yeah, I can see it. <laughs> one thing you mentioned about the Jedi battles as well, Will, and it's one of the things that I, why I have the issue with them in this, these films is that there was, you know, obviously when they made the original trilogy, you know, using the lightsabers cost money. So it was obviously reduced how much they would use them. So we only see lightsabers fight in Star Wars between Obi-Wan and Darth Vader in the in sequel. It's, you know, uh, Vader and Luke. And the third one, it's Vader and Luke as well. But in all those movies, there's a lot going on in the background. So it's not just about the fight. It's, there's, there's an emotional kind of thing going on between both of the characters. So in these films, I felt that the fights weren't as engaging because there wasn't anything there. As good as the choreography was, say, in the fight between Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon Jinn and Darth Maul in the first one, there's nothing really there because like, they never even spoken to you know, Darth Maul. They never said, who the hell are you? What do you want? Things like that. There's none of that. And that's the same with Dooku against Yoda in, the, in, this, in um, Attack of the Clones. There's, for me, there's nothing there. So I'm kind of taken out of the fight as a result of it because they're going, mm, there's not really a whole lot going on. In this film, while the fight between Anakin and Obi-Wan goes on way too long, what is it, about 45 minutes or something, like the fight is cool at the start because they really do, you know, the relationship is completely collapsed. It's really kind of cool to see that Anakin has completely lost his mind and Obi-Wan is there going, right, I, I've no choice here but to kill you. And there's something there, but in the other ones, there just isn't, for me anyway. Yeah, but you just said it there yourself. Do you not think that George Lucas and then those that came thereafter sit down and go, right, we have to get a plot that gets us from A to B to C. Yep. But in the middle of it, it's an emotion picture that's going to be shown on a big screen that people are going to pay 15 quid to see. There has got to be some cool stuff in there. And, you know, all of the Mandalorian is people in a room going, right, we've got our plot. Now, where's the cool stuff? We've got to put in the cool stuff for the fans, the stuff that looks great on the screen. So I agree with you. Quite a lot of the prequels, all three of them put together, we could have done without. But they do look cool. You know, as evidenced by the fact, was it Lucas himself who brought back Darth Maul? You know, he caused him to die in The Phantom Menace and he brought, brought him back in a, in a cartoon. Um, and, and then he came back to life in, um, in Solo. But I mean, you know, Boba Fett coming back to life, Darth Maul coming back to life, Palpatine coming back to life. Where do I start? Have they all come back to Sorry, Chewbacca coming back to life. You know, we can go oh, yeah. on and on. I mean... Dying in Star Wars is not dying. No. So that's what takes away, you know, the only person who died who had the worst death was Padme. The poor girl never came back to life. But the only problem I have with what you're saying, Will, some people will go yes for this, other people will go no for this, is that when you're making a movie, and here's a perfect example, right? If you think, if you go into the cinema or you sit down, there's a trailer for the new Terminator movie on in front of you, what line of dialogue is 1 million percent going to be there? Uh, come with me if you want to stay alive. Yes. That's okay, awesome. and in Star Wars, it's, it's I've got a bad feeling about this. Or hello there, or lightsaber fight and things like that. Yeah. But the problem is, though, is every time you hear it, you're going to put your mind back to a previous movie where you've seen it. So are you borrowing the emotion from that movie into your movie and not creating something uh, yourself? Shows if you're putting too much thought into this. I know I am. Look how many this is really I wrote I mean, for this. Come on. <laughs> this is... I mean, come on now. This is just fan service. You know, what the hell was The Force Awakens, the movie you so-called think is the third best of them? It's just fan service from start to finish. I mean, there is nothing 
in Force Awakens that adds to the canon at all. Nothing. Nothing. I mean, at least the prequels, however bad they were, really does expand the canon. It does. Absolutely it does. Right? The, the last three destroy the canon. Mm -hmm. All right? I they don't do anything to add to the canon. And all I'm saying to you is this, is that if you're going to start criticizing you know, catchphrases that are put in. I take it you don't like Little Britain. You don't like Monty Python. <laughs> you don't like anything that is just a series of, I mean, the fast show I would avoid if I were you because it is just catchphrases from start to finish. I love, I love this. What's happening here is that the comment section on YouTube now lives on this podcast, right? Here we go. The schism right down the middle of Star Wars fans is being played out live on air right now. Yeah. Well, you listened to us discuss episodes one and two. You knew full well this is how I interpreted these. No, movies. I do, and I'm looking forward. I am looking forward to hearing you do Force Awakens because I mean, the two of you like it, so it's it's really now. I mean, Sean, I don't know you, where we Sean, stand. But you know what? Again, you know will down for the Force Awakens uh, discussions. Yeah. All, all I would say to you is, this, I would love. I would because I was I was ten when Empire came out. Okay, so I was bang on the right age for it. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to know a 10, 12-year-old. I guarantee, I mean, you guys were, were not 12 when the prequels came out, okay? But it would be very interesting to see if you were to find somebody who's, whatever, 30, 30 now, and ask them about the prequels. You'll probably find they'll say, I had Jar Jar pajamas. Yep. And my favorite yeah. was Queen Amidala. She was a, a role model. There was no, you know, Princess Leia never kicked ass in, 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 the, in the original three, but at least Amidala did in, in the prequels and, and Ray then in the, in the prequels. You know, it's really, we're the wrong age yeah. for these things. I'm the wrong age for these things. I'm certainly the wrong age for the J.J. Abrams movies because if they're aimed at 12 year olds, I'm far too old for it, you know. Um, but I can see, having rewatched the three prequels, I can see what he was doing. Yep. In mm. some places he did a terrible job and it would have done if Kathleen Kennedy had been in the room saying, you can't write for women for shit. You know, that is, uh, you know, it would have been nice if somebody could have told him that. But I still see what he was trying to do. In certain ways he did a terrible job and in other ways, I think he did a really good job. Uh, you know, I mean, I would have had criticisms of casting Hayden Christensen. The man can't act his way out of a paper bag, but he wasn't bad for a finish. No. Yeah, I'll agree. He's much better. I feel he's much better in Revenge of the Sith than he is in the film we will not name. But um, but he was hampered. It, it's like kind of cycling back as well. It's like there's things that have to happen, and so you know you're kind of you're kind of stuck by listen, Hayden, you've got to be in the suit by the end of the film. So here's, here's what we're giving you in terms of dialogue. Do the best you can. Thanks. So I, really now we've decided that Attack of the Clones is Macbeth. Is it? It's the Scottish play. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the, so we're I, now going to call episode two the Scottish play. The last three times I've watched episode two, the furthest back in time I managed to get through it one, in one go. The second to last time I had to watch it over two nights and most recent time I had to watch it over three nights. It's going to get to the stage where it'll take about a month to actually watch it. I'll watch it in 10 minute increments a day and just kind of get out of it as quickly as possible. Yeah, I, I think we can agree there are no redeeming features. But, but I, I, I think you what you say will... You need to watch it to get there. Yeah, well, what you said is right, Will. Like, like as, we can criticize moving and break down as much as possible, but there is a storyline in terms of where he wants to go and how he wants to go about it. We can say like this character should be more prominent or we should have seen more of this relationship and things like that, which we should have. 
but at least it's a kind of a logical progression in terms of say, you know, the character of Anakin, we know from the start, even though he's not a sympathetic character throughout the films, he's a bit of an asshole, but you can see that he's a character who constantly wants more. He hates the limitations that are placed on his life by say Obi-Wan Kenobi first, then by the Jedi Council and things like that. With his love then that he has for Padme, that's obviously fueled by the fact that his mother was taken away from him, his mother was killed and things like that. And at least the character is consistent. He's not the character we thought he was going to be, but again, that's, that's for all of us to decide if that's how we want him to be, but he is a consistent character in terms of how he's progressed and how he ends up finishing up. Yes. I, I, I don't disagree with any of that. I just, that Hayden Christensen is a particularly wooden actor. Um, that's, he's, he, is, he is saved by the fact he's acting alongside Ian McDermott, who I think is a fantastic actor and is one of the all-time great screen villains. Yeah, it's a very pantomime kind of approach to it, it which absolutely works. So, like, when he, when he becomes, like, the, the emperor, when his face is melted and all that, he just goes full-blown Saturday morning, like, Skeletor kind of bananas, crazy kind of thing, yeah. and it works so well for the movie. But he's, that's, he's such a good villain that he, there are very few people who've been playing the same villain for 30 years, Yeah, or Christopher Lee. I mean, he played it in 1983 and he played it in 2019. I mean, that's a pretty good run of playing the same character as a villain, having died twice or whatever, <laughs> died once anyway. Uh, you know, so I, I do think that, that Ian McDermott makes up for the terrible dialogue given to, um, to Obi-Wan and the really, really wooden acting of Hayden Christensen and the schmozzle there is of what they've done to poor Natalie Portman, who went on, by the way, to win an Oscar after that bloody thing. You know, I mean, the woman who, who died because, what was it? She hadn't the will to live, went on to win an Oscar. Actually, actually, that plot point scared the bejesus out of me when I was kid. I was like, if I wake up sad, is that game over? <laughs> but there was one scene that I really do enjoy in this, is that when, after the attack on the Jedi Council and Anakin's gone to Mustafar, I do really like the scene when Obi-Wan goes to Padme because at that mm. point it's all over the game is done like Obi-Wan and Yoda know look it's fully finished we're probably you know we're not going to win this so all we can do effectively is almost like exact retribution and he asks Padme where you know where is Anakin he's become a very grave threat and things like that and she says you're going to kill him and he basically just looks at her he doesn't say no I'm not he basically are going like I've got to do this now like the music is really kind of works really well and then when he's walking away he turns and says to her you know, Anakin's the father, isn't he? And she says nothing. He says, I'm so sorry. I think that's, I, I really enjoy that scene because we don't get a whole lot of scenes like it. Because again, it's, every, it's only when things have started to fall apart. Nothing's going to be right again. And he kind of embraces it specifically with that scene. And to show how far they've gone now, Obi-Wan is basically saying, I have to go and kill this guy now as a result of this. My prediction is that if we reconvene in three years' time, that Mandalorian will have solved the issue of Snoke slash Palpatine's rebirth and Kenobi will have solved all of the problems we have with the prequels bar Natalie Portman's death. I don't think that can be fixed. I don't think any plot device in Kenobi is going to fix that. But I do think that we're going to see a lot of stuff in Kenobi. We're going to see conversations between Darth Vader and uh, Obi-Wan that are going to fill in a lot of these gaps for us. Um, and I just think that Kenobi is going to be a companion to the prequels now, which when you watch them as a whole, a lot of what we've debated here tonight will be fixed by it. That's what I think, because I think people have an affection for these movies. Mm. 
uh, in the way that we may not have. But I do think people of a certain generation of filmmaker has an affection for these movies and they're going to use Kenobi to fix them in the same way I think they're using The Mandalorian to fix the plot problems with Rise of Skywalker. But would you be concerned with the Kenobi series that if they, like, my concern with the Kenobi series is that you'll have a scene where Darth Vader and Obi-Wan encounter each other, potentially even fight again. I don't want that because we've seen it in, you know, the end of episode three and we've seen this, them reconvening years later in episode four. Yeah, but Chelsea, you're not thinking here with your head, my friend. <laughs> you know, I, I refer you to what I said 15 minutes ago. <laughs> it will look cool, you know? The fans will be there going, oh, I think I'll subscribe to Disney Plus for another year now because that's what this is all about. It's not about plots. It's not about making this more Shakespearean than it needs to be. It's about, does it look cool? And let's be honest, if they're bringing back Hayden Christensen, we will see Vader without his mask on, or we're gonna see Vader in flashback. But I predict we're going to see Vader without his mask on, because if you remember at the end where the mask went on, yep. you clearly could see Hayden Christensen's face. Yep. So they're bringing him back to take the mask off, and there will be a scene where he and Kenobi have the chats and go, where did it all go wrong? And they'll have the chats that they should have had in this movie, but that Lucas didn't have the time or the inclination or couldn't figure out how to give them a chat before it all went down. So that's what I think is going to happen. I think Kenobi is going to be used to fill in this. And I think we may look back then on Revenge of the Sith with more affection than you do at the moment because all of those little narratives will be filled in by this. That's what I think. Sean, you're very quiet there. I was going to say, silence is deafening here. So <laughs> there's a lot of hope being put on Kenobi, I will say. And I feel that every time we say this, poor old Hugh McGregor, wherever he is right now, there's just kind of like a tremor running down the back of his spine. He's like, oh my God, I have so much work to do. I realize he's not writing it, but it's going to be on the poor man's shoulders to carry this all off. So I wish you all the best, Hugh McGregor. I still love you. The I'm other lads uh, might, might hate I'm, you. I'm, I love I'm, you. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I am really, really looking forward to it. And I wouldn't have been, but for the fact that The Mandalorian is so good. Yeah. And is so well made and is, doesn't let you down. Yeah. There's nothing about The Mandalorian that lets you down. The plot is not stupid. You're not sitting there going, well, that makes absolutely no sense. It all makes perfect sense. And I trust Favreau and I trust the people who are making these, whereas I think that J.J. Abrams did what he was asked to do which is relaunch something that had died. And he did a very good job. And I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say about The Force Awakens. I'm dying to hear the two of you justify it when you've got two people who think it's a great movie, when clearly it isn't. Actually, strange enough, J.J. Abrams came out only in the last couple of weeks, and he said that he felt that the sequel trilogy should have been mapped out better, which is really kind of surprised because like, Disney spent, what was it, four billion on buying this. And you'd think that with the committee, that have said, right, we're going to structurally make the movies this way. Because like Colin Trevorrow was supposed to make episode nine originally, and then they just mm -hmm. got rid of him and brought back in J.J. Abrams. Like, there's an interesting bit of uh, video of um, was the man who made episode eight again, Ryan, Ryan Johnson. And he was basically saying that, like I'll paraphrase him now and what he was saying, but he said he liked people coming out of the cinema and having like polar opposite views. Some people saying, I loved it. Other people saying, I absolutely hated it. That is absolutely what episode eight is in a nutshell. There's either people love it or they hate it. There's no in between at all with it. Mm. I'm sort of in between on it. And I think that's only as time goes by. I hated it when I saw it. But because Rise of Skywalker was so bad, I think I, I, The Last Jedi got good in my mind as a result of that. It, it did. You know, it, episode nine had to be so bad to make episode eight good. In the same way I say, 
that episodes, episode three had such a tying up of all the plots that it made episode one and two not any better, but you can see why you had to suffer through them to get to episode three. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I do think episode three, I think because Ian McDermott is so good throughout the whole three movies, it just about holds together. It just about holds together. And the CGI is good. Mm. You know, so I do think the prequels, looking back 22 years later, I think they had too much pressure placed on them, too much expectation. And I think now that you can look at them in a different light, they're not that bad. Yeah. I could have done with some more taxation, though. You could have, yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. I think we should have had rooms full of guys with big, giant bound books, leather books, and quills. I, I can see quills. That's trade, all I ask. Trade, deal, trade deals done by quill. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, it's the most interesting part of the the, the uh-huh. prequel trilogy. Never mind the Skywalker nonsense. That's I don't know. <laughs> Nobody's going to the film to see the Skywalker story. Like. Mm-hmm. So I agree. As Sean would say at the end of these podcasts, would you, where would you recommend this movie? Oh, I, but you know, it's my fourth favorite. Um, of course <laughs> I recommend this movie. But again, you can't recommend this movie without seeing one and two. And would you recommend one and two? You wouldn't. But you have to watch the three of them in sequence. Yeah. So in reality, I think you have to watch the prequels together. And I think the way we saw them every two years mm-hmm. with the hype that was was built up for them and the expectation they were never going to succeed never and i think now that you can look at them 20 years later and watch as i did and i'd never watched the three of them in sequence before in a short space of time they actually sort of make sense and all the political stuff makes sense it's not a good idea he should have done it a much different idea and padme's death all of those things but i do think it makes sense the whole lot of it and, you know, I think if you asked George Lucas, if you had to go back and do it again, would you have made Anakin nine years of age? You know, making Anakin 14 in the first one, it, it, the love story would have been a bit more believable. If he was 14 and she was 17, it would have been a bit more believable than he was nine and she was 18 or whatever the age gap was. I, you know, I think if you, I'd, you'd love to ask him, what mm. would you do again? I get a sneaky feeling we're going to get a kind of a making of the prequels coming out fairly soon. Because if you look at the stuff on Disney+, Plus, none of the behind-the-scenes stuff is on Disney+. Plus. All they have there is the, um, is the deleted scenes. Yeah. So I think they've removed all the behind-the-scenes stuff to make a kind of a, a making of the prequels. Once they have, you know, they'll have, they'll have the use of Hayden Christensen and, um, and Obi-Wan sitting around in their trailers all this year. So interview them about the prequels, make a nice little documentary, cha-ching, sign up another year. You know, that's the way it is. Hayden, how much money did it take to get you back for this? Quite a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Sean, would you recommend these movies? I I would. I I have a fondness for them. Um, Episode one, for its faults, I, I like it. I like it because it was my first Star Wars in the cinema, so I have that nostalgia on it as well. Uh, Attack of the Clones is just boring. It's like even even the bits that aren't as boring are still boring compared to the other films. Um, you know, the the lightsaber battle. But Will, I completely agree with you. You kind of you have to watch Attack of the Clones before going into Revenge of the Sith. Otherwise, yeah, I mean, I really wish you could skip it, but no, you can't. And then Revenge of the Sith, 
Absolutely. I, I like it. I think it's a good, fun film. Um, as I say, a little bit over long, but I couldn't tell you what I would cut. So I guess that's almost a redundant thing for me to say. Um, and it's and... bloody dark. I mean, it is really, really dark. There's yeah, no, it's... I mean, it's, it's, you know, as I keep saying, he set the matinee idol on fire. You know, I picked Hayden Christensen because he looked great. He was tall. He was chiseled. And then I set the guy on fire and chopped off his legs. I mean, that, we all knew it was coming but I actually didn't think we'd see it on screen. And, and he went ahead and did that in a movie that he started off by saying, I created Jar Jar because these movies are for 12 year olds. I would say if, they're over, if they are for 12 year olds, those 12 year olds had a lot of nightmares about their hero burning up in lava after that. So you've, you've got to give the man some credit. And would Disney have done it? Probably not. I think actually this was the first PG-13 Star Wars film as well. Yeah. I think all the rest of them were universal uh, prior to that. So. At least he went full on adult for this one. Yeah, I don't think Disney would have burned up their star. No. I think that, you know, we'd have seen the after effect, but I don't think they'd have shown him on fire. No. Um, so you've got to give him something for that. I mean, look, Lucas gets so much criticism, but at the end of the day, he gets criticism for the universe that he created. Yeah. Without him, there would have been no Star Wars. The man is entitled to do whatever the hell he wants. Don't get me started on the Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls, <laughs> because that thing ruined my childhood. And that thing is unforgivable. That, yeah, it, it don't, we are all on the same page when it comes to Crystal Skull. And I'll tell you this, if for some reason George Lucas ends up downstairs, Lucifer's going to say to him, George, <laughs> you know why you're here. And he'll say, yes, I do. It was Crystal Skulls. We all know that. You're going to sign me up for that one too? <laughs> oh, yes, now, we're doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Will, we've got you back for a lot of episodes coming up. We'll have to, we'll have to talk scheduling now. Because, yeah, we'll have to kind of work it around people's, yeah. But 100%, oh, the conversations. Um, but I think that's probably as good a place as any now to leave it for this evening. Um, is there anything that you feel needs to be said, hasn't been said, has been over said about Revenge of the Sith now before we finish up this evening? It's a really good soundtrack. Yep. Not a silence there, but I'm just going to say that because why not? <laughs> yeah, course- be, yeah, I mean, let's be honest. John Williams, has he done a bad soundtrack? I mean, I'm, you know, if you look at it, the soundtrack on Crystal Skulls is probably half decent. You know, I mean, I, you just, unfortunately, it, he's so good, it's expected. Yep. Yep. Uh, that's you know, fair. I mean, I think one of my favorite pieces of Star Wars music of all of them is the trailer music to Rise of Skywalker. The, the movie. That wasn't that wasn't him though. Was it not? No, he. I, I'm reading it. He didn't do the trailer music. I can't remember who did it because I read an article about it recently. Because I thought it was Williams, but I was I had a sneaking suspicion it wasn't. It wasn't him. It was. And it's not else. on the sound. I think it's on the soundtrack though. I'm not sure about that, but I don't think, I'm nearly certain he didn't do the, I stand to be corrected, of course, but I'm nearly certain he did not do the trailer music first. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, there's so many things we haven't talked about. You could be hours and hours and hours going through it. We haven't talked about clones. We haven't talked about droid armies. We've barely mentioned poor old General Grievous, who came out of nowhere. Yeah. You know, to be this big bad. Yeah, to be this huge figure. Uh, and who had a fairly cool death, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, but I mean, again, it was hard to care about him because he was just sort of dropped in. And the same with Count Dooku. Yeah. I actually think Count Dooku was a pretty good villain, 
But again, because we didn't know his backstory, Christopher Lee is one of the greatest of them all. Mm. And he was pretty good in it. And the man can fight a lightsaber. I think the problem with Christopher Lee was it was just a narrative thing to kind of get the, early in the movie, to kind of get the continuation of the fall to the dark side across. Because after he's basically de-handed um, Count Dooku, you know, Palpatine tells him, you know, cut, chop his head off. And like, it continues on from there. Like you couldn't do that later in the movie because there was too much that we need to kind of catch up on. Again, as you said, Will, in all three of the third films, it's a rush to get to the finish. Yeah. And uh, could they not just have brought back Darth Maul? Because clearly the man was alive with his, spi- <laughs> with his spider legs. Could he not have just been brought back in as the apprentice? Was he not on to the HR department of the uh, Empire and went, look, hang on, I was the apprentice. I had my legs chopped off. I now have the spider legs, but I'm fit and ready for duty. You don't need Dooku. I'm back, baby. I, I, I would watch the hell out of a rematch. I know it's in the series, but it looks to see on the big screen as well. What's that? The position has been filled? Who's my union <laughs> rep? Who is this I, Count Dooku? Where did he come out of? I, I am a, the apprentice. I have a contract here and I'd expect it to be honored. <laughs> Lord Sugar told me I was the apprentice and now it's this Dooku guy. Let's be frank, he's too old. <laughs> what? The Empire is ageist as well? <laughs> Ah, lads. I love these films. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah. Show, is there anything now left that we, we kind of haven't covered? No, myself and Will will continue this fight on Twitter <laughs> later. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, will, I will put a link to this ongoing, for this Reddit forum chat. Um, but guys, look, thank you very, very, very much now for taking the time to sit down this evening and go through... It's not the greatest third film of all time, but it's not the worst either. Um... Yes, our both gentlemen. Now, I mean, this might seem like a redundant question, but Will, if people want to reach out and get in touch with you online, where can they find you? <laughs> no, no, I, I think after this, I think after this, it might be best you don't, because I fear I might have upset a few people here, you know, let alone the HR department of the Empire. <laughs> Inundated. <laughs> a very stern no, letter from them. <laughs> in that weird language, nobody quite knows what it is. They speak English, but it comes up in this sort of Japanese font. Oh, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and show, of course, where can people find you? On Twitter at Joseph Hurley. Excellent. Excellent. Cool. Well, as I say, lads, thanks very much for joining me. And everyone, thanks very much for listening. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Sean Ferrick. And you can also catch us over on Patreon, Patreon forward slash Sean Ferrick as well, where you can get early access to episodes. You're all awesome. Look after yourselves. Thanks very much, guys. <laughs>